Haymaking Days by John Stuttard. Chapter 11. A Bull Named Hotspur. Cattle present a host of different problems to sheep. Dad was diligent at reading up on the farming that he undertook. Initially, he had no experience to draw on and no one to guide him, so he had no choice. But he worked hard on his reading. He would sit for hours at night in his armchair, studying books with blunt titles such as Cattle or Sheep. After a couple of years of disastrous sheep farming, he read in one such guide a definition of sheep that he read aloud to me. Sheep, he quoted, four-legged woolly animals, very prone to disease, of which the first signs are usually sudden death. He always had a good sense of irony. There was a gallows humour in the fact that it wasn't just us who struggled to make a living from sheep. Mum and Peter had already written off the whole attempt to succeed at farming as futile. Despite his evident dedication and effort, they ascribed his failure to achieve pecuniary success to incompetence. They made it clear that they thought of him as an amateur who would make a mess of everything he tried. I disagreed with them and fumed quietly as they criticised without attempting to help him. We endured tragedy upon tragedy. It might have been determination, courage, stubbornness or lack of alternatives, but Dad would not give up. I cherished this quality in him. Possibly he had entered farming with the notion that the way of life would be a good way to bring up children. I kept on hoping that the next season's lambs or the next crop of steers that we brought to market might mark a turning point in our fortunes. That would show Mum and Peter. Our livelihood was not dependent only on sheep. We intended to be cattle farmers also. When people inquired into what type of farming we did, I would proudly answer, sheep and beef, to differentiate from dairy cows. The risks and rewards are far greater with beef. As all good investment advisors will tell you, the best portfolio is a diversified one. Mum considered the investment from the vantage point of the window. What would look best in the fields when friends drove past our farm? She settled initially on two breeds, Aberdeen Angus and Blue Greys. Both are hardy Highland cattle that should handle the Lancashire climate well. The Aberdeen Angus is a lovely looking animal with a shaggy fringe that falls between its horns and over its eyes. The Blue Grey has a marvellous roan coat, smooth compared with the Angus. It is a larger, heavier animal. Glad that Mum took enough interest to offer some suggested breeds, Dad spent many months researching them both. Finally, he decided on the Blue Grey. We took thrilled delivery of these wonderful beasts from a great cattle wagon that had come down from Scotland. Dad deliberately planned it that they would arrive while I was still on school holiday. It was gratifying that Mum was there to watch the small herd of 20 cattle emerge gratefully from the stinky dark wagon into the clean green field in front of our house.
beef cows must be bred, so a bull had to be selected. After more weeks of studying the options, Dad decided that a magnificent Hereford breed bull named Hotspur was to be hired for the task. This colossus was delivered into our field of anxious young cows. His name suited his rolling eyes and snorting, arrogant temperament. Although I supposed his owner must have been a soccer fan from somewhere near Arsenal. Until that point, I had marvelled at the size of the muscular cows. But Hotspur was a gargantuan monster by comparison. At school, we had once been taken to a stud farm for racehorses, and we had witnessed a raging stallion serve a mare, as the stud staff delicately put it. It was a shocking introduction to the hitherto taboo subject of reproduction. No detail was spared. The mare is shown to a test stallion pony, who attempts to arouse her. If she is unwilling, she will lash out with her hind legs. The risk of such a kick to a valuable racing stallion is too great. If she is willing, or in season, as the staff explained, she lifts her tail and flashes her pudenda at the stallion. This sends the unlucky tester into a fit of passionate madness, and he sports an erection the size of a fifth leg. The stud farm hands demonstrated this to an audience of transfixed ten-year-old boys as if it were no more than a carpentry lesson. The test stallion is led away in bitter disappointment as another stallion, carefully selected by the mare's owners, is led into the paddock. The mare in question is waiting in a state of nervous anticipation. The deed is done amid much rearing, kicking, screaming and biting. After only a short moment, the stallion drops drunkenly from the hindquarters of the mare and the staff throws a bucket of cold water over his genitals to cool him down and wash him off. We were astounded by what we had seen. One of the boys in our group, named Mark Fenwick, had been sitting on a post and rail fence to watch the event. He had been so shocked at the violence of the act that he fainted and fell with a dull thud. The rest of us were too transfixed to pay any attention to him. We had not expected anything of the sort when we signed up to the visit to the stud farm. I suspect neither had our accompanying master, the Reverend Dr. Thorold, who maintained a solid silence in the bus on the way back to school while we pressed him for more information on what we'd seen. Having had such a lucid introduction to animal mating, I feared for the lives of the poor cows. This bull didn't so much appear to be from a different breed as a different species. He was a leviathan. I had developed enough concern over the course of a variety of disasters on the farm already to wonder if Dad had made a terrible mistake. Are you sure he's the right type of bull, Dad? I double-checked. He smiled knowingly at my innocence. They will be fine. We left Hotspur to his duties with the herd and returned to the farmhouse for dinner. The next morning, I went with Dad to check on the progress of the cows and the enormous bull. We had put them in a large, sloping field on the south side of Howgill Lane. They tended to congregate at the gateway 
where the feeding troughs for hay, cattle cake and mineral licks were located. Cattle can turn areas where they assemble into a quagmire far more quickly than sheep. It was early winter and the grass alone was not enough for such a hungry herd. The cows were already standing deep in mud. As we walked up the lane, we could see them all gathered beside the fence, but we did not see Hotspur until we got much closer. As we approached, I could clearly make out a large object lying on the ground. As we got closer, we could see his red Hereford coat, but the position was most unnatural. Hotspur was lying upon his side with all four legs stretched out in front of him as if he had had some kind of seizure. We ran up to the field in panic. Good God, Dad exclaimed in amazement. He's kicked the bucket. The rest of the herd was nonchalant about the plight of their intended and milled around hungrily at the gateway. I stared at the mass of animal bulk that lay stretched out stiffly in the mud. I could not think how we were going to move him. Speculating grimly whether we might need a chainsaw. Fortunately, it was not our responsibility to deal with the departed beast. We called his owner, who summoned a vet. It was concluded that he had died of a heart attack. About nine months later, the probable causes of his heart attack began to appear. Given the limited time available, his strike rate was impressive. The cows were quite up to the task and I should have been more concerned for unlucky Hotspur. Rearing cattle is not easy in Lancashire's wet and cold climate. If a sheep dies, it is a financial concern. If a cow dies, it's a much more serious problem. We found that cows are economical breeders. Whereas sheep quite naturally give birth to twins, cows tend to have a single calf. Paradoxically, a cow is capable of producing enough milk for two calves. In fact, dairy farmers have mastered the art of milk production to unholy quantities. The poor cows can be seen waddling back to their barns at night, heaving preposterously unnatural sets of udders that make walking ungainly for them. Dairy farmers send the output from these incredible cornucopias of milk to the milk marketing board. The MMB's vast tankers plug into modern holding tanks at the dairy farms. The calves, for whom the cow intended its milk, are an unwanted byproduct. They are sent off to market at only a few days old. Some will become the pallid veal served in restaurants. Many will be bought by beef farmers, who will attempt to get their cows with their plentiful supply of milk to take on a second calf. When we first started cattle farming, Dad dutifully read up on the various methods of getting cows to accept a second, unfamiliar wet nose to the udder. Not surprisingly, most cows will not cooperate easily. A mother will push away any calves that are not her own. If the imposter persists, she will lash out at it with her hind legs or even charge at the helpless or precocious youngster. So, man's ingenuity is called upon to find a solution. The solution we adopted 
is so simple it is slightly ludicrous. Having read about the technique in manuals, Dad got a strong piece of rope some four feet in length and attached the mother's own calf to the imposter. The rope is tied around the neck of each calf. The effect is dramatic and alarming. Initially, the two calves will begin a game of tug of war. They will both attempt to walk backwards, their heads facing each other. As you would expect if you tie a noose around your neck and then pull hard, the result is strangulation. I panicked when I saw this happening and urged Dad that he must have misread the instructions. Dad looked concerned, but assured me, don't worry, they're supposed to do this. I watched a little longer and, just as I expected, both calves collapsed unconscious through lack of oxygen. Dad, I exclaimed, is that supposed to happen? I rushed to the stricken animals. I thought they were dead. With both calves out cold and the rope now slack, the involuntary breathing reflex returned oxygen to their brains and they regained consciousness. They staggered to their feet and the whole process repeated itself. This is madness, I thought to myself. They'll get the hang of it in a while, Dad reassured me. Sure enough, the calves began to understand the near fatal effect of their exertions and eventually learned not to pull against one another. I was amazed. But this did not teach the mother to accept the stranger. Man's ingenuity had thought of that too. Each time her own calf was suckling, the orphan attempted to do the same. She would lurch away from it, refusing to let it drink. But then she realised that her own offspring could no longer suckle. If she tried to charge it away, she inadvertently charged away her own calf. Only when we were certain that the mother had completely accepted the new calf was the rope untied. I winced at the red open sores that the rope left on the calves' necks. Dad sprayed the wounds liberally with the all-healing chloromycetin. This was an aerosol antiseptic antibiotic spray. It left a long-lasting bright purple blotch. Dad occasionally used it on himself, explaining with Jeff's logic, if it works for the animals, it'll work for me. Idealistic and innocent as it may seem now as I write this, I remember times when farming was so harsh that we wrung our hands in despair. We lost our entire first herd of 20 blue greys. We had bought them in good faith. We were novices and did not know to check on their brucellosis accreditation credentials. Fate did not forgive us this oversight and the herd contracted the terrible disease which causes decreased milk production, weight loss, abortion of the fetus, infertility and lameness. The only option once the disease is identified in a herd is slaughter. We watched helplessly as our entire first herd was destroyed by the vet with his humane killer, a non sequitur to my adolescent mind. This invention stuns large animals by firing a bolt through the thick part of the skull between the eyes, leaving a clean, steaming quarter-inch hole. A metal rod is then inserted through the hole 
and rammed into the brain. At the thrust of the rod, the unconscious animal's nervous system jolts its entire body and life ends in an instant. I saw that machine used many times over the years and I always agonized over whether the animals ever felt any pain. <laughs>